Welcome to the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. We're your hosts, Cindy and Chrissy, co-founders of Her Health Collective. We are two moms obsessed with changing the ideals and expectations of motherhood. Every other week, we dive into the topics that matter to moms most, answering your most pressing questions as we learn from top-notch experts, swap stories, tap into our creative sides, and advocate for the causes that moms truly care about. All while hanging with your mom friends. We are so glad you're here. Let's dive in. It is such a pleasure to be able to sit down and talk with Megan Roberts today. Megan is the program coordinator of Mom Supporting Moms, a peer-based support program for moms housed under the nonprofit Safe Child NC. She is also the PSINC coordinator for the Triangle Region. Megan has dedicated her life to supporting mothers, particularly those navigating postpartum mental health issues. In today's episode, Megan shares her own story of battling postpartum anxiety and some of the lessons she's learned from offering support to countless mothers during the fourth trimester and beyond. Megan is the real deal. She is genuine and funny and an essential resource for so many struggling moms. Let's dive in. We have some rapid fire questions for you, Megan. So don't spend too much time thinking, just blurt out whatever your answer is. Okay. First one, motherhood is complicated. Oh, I feel that one on so many levels. I like that one. <laughs> yeah. We, we get a lot of hard and challenging, but complicated adds a whole nother level and layer of meaning to that. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, cleanest room in your house. Is that a trick question? <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> I was trying to think if I was going to answer this today, what would my answer be? Mm, I, I mean, maybe my bathroom. You know, I try like that's kind of, I'm a bathtub, like taking a hot bath person. That's mm -hmm. like my self care. So I kind of try to keep that space my own, but you know, it doesn't. Good for you. Be. Every mom deserves a space of her own. <laughs> Yes. I think my answer would be the master bathroom too, actually. Really? I think so. I don't think that would ever be my answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Megan, what is bringing your life sanity right now? Zoloft. My <laughs> better living through chemistry. Uh, my partner. I have an amazing husband and partner. And the house that we are in is an old 1962 split level and someone, you too? Yes. Oh, yes. Ours is 67. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so our houses are always under construction, but someone who have lived here along the years have, has invested greatly in our yard and our garden. And it is like, I just get to reap all the benefits. It's beautiful. So uh, that is definitely the springtime at, at this house just makes me feel so good. I love it. Oh, that's so awesome to have an outdoor space. I, um, we actually have a, a 1960s house too, and the backyard is part of what sold it for me. However, I do not have a green thumb, like not even the <laughs> minusculest minuscule of a, a green thumb. So I can't keep anything alive. People have said like, oh, this plant is impossible to kill. And I'm like, actually, I have that upstairs and it's dead right now. So <laughs> like, I, I wish that I was able to keep plants alive. But luckily there's like woods and stuff beyond my property line that I can't touch that just nature's taking care of it on its own. Yes. So what do you look for in a mom friend? I look for authenticity because that's something that I really value. And then I really look, I follow a woman called Graham Seabrook, who is a mom coach and she calls it like a whole human mama, which is just like, I look for mom friends who, who motherhood isn't their entire identity, right? Like I think in early motherhood, it just is, but, but people who are complex, you know, and, and I really find enjoyment with, with a whole human, not just a mother, <laughs> if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I love that answer on so many levels. Cindy, were you going to say something? No, I was like, going to say yes. <laughs> That sounded like so. No, I was going to say yes. I, that was lovely. Yeah. What was her name again? Her name is Graham. It's G-R-A-E-M-E Seabrook. I think she calls herself the, the mom for moms. 
but yeah, you should look her up, but she, she has, um, I think she maybe even has a t-shirt that says like whole human mama, but I just love that. I do. I love that too. It's, it's so easy to get just lost in motherhood, especially you're right in that new motherhood phase, but even beyond, and there's the guilt and the shame and, and there is so much more. You were a person before you were a mother. And it's so important to not lose sight of that person and to keep that person alive and thriving. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's important for our kids, right? Like I, I want my children to see that, um, they're not just the center of my world, right? That, that mommy is, is complex. She has interest. She likes to do other things. Um, and they get so excited when they see that, you know, it's really interesting to pay attention to you. Like, sorry, I know these are supposed to be rapid fire questions, but one of my, one of my quarantine, very random hobbies, like not me at all is I started to do embroidery, like hand embroidery. And it's been so neat to see their excitement of my excitement through this new hobby, you know? Oh, that's awesome. And it might be a hobby they pick up too. Total side note, Cindy, maybe we should change the name of rapid fire questions because they're never rapid fire. We always end up having a conversation about whatever it is. So maybe the name of the section is misleading. It's more like dive deep. (laughs) Let's dive deep into you. Who are you? Yeah. Okay. Best vacation you've ever taken? Belize. Mm, and it's the last it's the last vacation my husband and I took it's the first vacation we took with three kids so it was like our first time getting away and it's also the last one we've had since having three kids so I often think back on Belize but it's just a beautiful place delicious rice and beans we went I've got to do um snorkeling with sharks and stingrays it was really cool Oh, awesome. We went to Belize um, as part of our honeymoon and agreed. I absolutely love it. It is a beautiful place and super, super fun with the kids. That's awesome. No, no, no. We didn't take the kids. Oh, without the kids. I was in the back of my head thinking, she's so brave. Three kids. (laughs) The same thing. I was like, how did that happen? No, but we did for the first time last weekend go camping with all the kids. And it was one of the bravest things I've ever done. serious it went okay we survived we were very afraid but we did it how old are your kids seven four and three wow yeah that does feel very brief but exciting (laughs) at the same time I'm sure there were great memories that everybody that's what we kept saying I was like big challenge big memories absolutely (laughs) uh what's one thing you'd like to learn I would love to be able to speak Spanish fluently absolutely I'm on I'm on I know a little bit and I've done some traveling in Spanish-speaking countries but I always relied on the people that I traveled with who were fluent I feel like when you travel with someone that's fluent it kind of can hinder you if you allow it and I did allow it and I've always kind of regretted that but what do you like to do on a Friday night (laughs) looks really different than like 15 years ago. No doubt, right? <laughs> Go out at 11, come back in at 2.30. Yeah. yeah, I'm in bed by then. On a Friday night, I mean, so ideally, one we're, we're such old people. One of the things I love to do with my husband is we will get Indian takeout. That's like a favorite. Get some good Indian food. Play Scrabble together. He is an amazing Scrabble player. We've been married for 10 years and I beat him one time, which <laughs> I talk about all the time. <laughs> I'm with you there. My husband's so good. He makes up these words that are so simple, but like super scorers. And I'm like, yes. what? what are you yes. doing? <laughs> How yes. is that fair? That is my husband as well. Every time he always gets like a triple word. I don't know. But yeah, Scrabble. And then I love to have a glass of red wine and my embroidery. I love my embroidery is like my, I didn't consciously like at all think about, I'm going to do something for mindfulness, but it's just, it's total mindfulness. It's like my meditation. So I love to do it at the end of the day. Uh, I'm just going to invite myself over one Friday night. That sounds like a perfect Friday night. (laughs) Come on. I love it. What are you reading or watching right now? So I love all the books and shows and podcasts. I am watching um, Mayor of Easttown on HBO right now. It's really good. Oh my gosh, I'm so bad at actresses' names. Me too. Very horrible at it. Hey, the, the woman, <laughs> ugh, the woman who was in um, 
Titanic. Kate, Kate Winslet. Winslet. Yes, Kate Winslet. She's amazing, but it's true crime, which I love, but I recommend it. It's really, really well done. So I'm watching that. I'm reading The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, which I also recommend. It's a really interesting story about these two twin sisters who are born um, and they're women of color, but they're very light skin. And one sister um, decides to pass as white and she goes in to live a completely different life than the other sister. It's really interesting. And then podcast, I listened to My Favorite Murder, which is another true crime podcast. And I listen to The Daily, which is the New York Times news almost every day. Um, although sometimes with COVID, I'm like, I just can't listen to it today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you yeah. gotta take things in, in doses there for sure. Uh, how do you picture most important question? How do you picture your empty nest days? So we, I love the water and my husband loves the mountains. So our dream is to have a house on the new river. Have you guys ever been to the new yes, river? Multiple times. Love it. Also it was, our dream. Oh my gosh. Okay, <laughs> let's, let's share a house. I'm looking for somebody. <laughs> we'll do some Scrabble nights. <laughs> yes. Um, it's just a magical place. I love it there so much. And so we'd love to have a house on the new river, canoes and kayaks, hot tub. That's my dream. Oh, that sounds absolutely amazing. And yes, I'm with you. Also, my dream, I just, I have always been an ocean girl and okay. have loved it growing up. But then something shifted as I got a little bit older. And I very much love the mountains now. My husband, he would very much love like a lake house or, or something along those. But yes, if there was mountain and water, it just speaks to the soul on, on some level there. I totally agree. So we, I look at all the time, I like look at land and just drain. <laughs> We're not there yet, but I love it. So Megan, I'm really, really excited to start talking to you. It was great great to get to know you and dive deeper into who you are, but I'd love to hear more about what you do with Mom Supporting Moms. It's designed to support pregnant and postpartum women and their partners looking for support and guidance through their baby's first year and beyond. So I'd love to hear how far beyond is. And can you talk about how this program offers support? Yeah. Thank you for asking. So mom supporting moms is um, a peer model, mostly so peer based support. And I actually I'm the program coordinator, um, but I was a mom who attended the group in 2014 and the group really saved my life. And so it's it's a real honor and privilege for me to be in this position now. So it's a beautiful circle. Of, of peer support and it really is mom to mom. So we have kind of a three, a three pronged approach, although we do a lot more as well, but we provide support groups. So that's that group peer support. We have one group that we really started right when COVID hit. Um, and that's for any moms from pregnancy to having preschoolers. And it's really like an informal virtual play date. It's very, laid back. But that group has been very popular. Women and families just want that connection right now. So we have that group, which is new in the past year. And then on Thursday evenings, we have our traditional group that's been around for 20 years. And that is for women experiencing a perinatal mood challenge. So from conception to about 18 months postpartum, if you're feeling overwhelmed, distressed, anxious, depressed. Um, you don't need a diagnosis. It's just women who know they need some support. Um, and so that group is specifically focused on those symptoms and coping skills. And really knowing that you're not alone makes a huge difference for our moms. So that's one piece. Then we have individual support. We have mentor services. So that's a one-on-one -on -one relationship. We're an experienced mom volunteers to give back and help guide a new mom through that first year of motherhood, which is a really, really beautiful thing and relationship. And it really can customize it to what does that mom need in terms of support. And then we also offer phone and texting support. And then I also teach a postpartum planning class at REC. So we can help families when they're still in the pregnancy stage to really 
learn about mental health and well-being and focus on there's so much focus on baby right but focus on how are parents going to care for themselves in this postpartum period so that's just a little bit about what we do have you found that the group has been effective with helping women to deal with the postpartum mental health challenges that they may be facing I think it's extremely effective. So when we think about a maternal mental health challenge, there's really three main tools. Um, There's increasing social support. So that's what we are. There's therapy and then there's medication and social support could also be friends, family. So we see ourselves as a big piece of that puzzle, but not the only piece, but often moms come to us first, right? Often they come to us when they're still in the what's going on with me phase. Do I fit in this group? Is this what is this? Right. I mean, really trying to navigate it. And then they might get the information or the courage to talk to their provider, to speak with a therapist. We talk about medication. We destigmatize that. So it all works together. But I think our group is often a nice stepping, like that first stepping stone. Yeah, we've we've talked quite a bit about how moms supporting moms in particular is a great first step for that new mom, unsure of where to go, but knowing that she needs something. And we're actually also really excited. We have another thing coming up with you where some of our Her Circle members will be trained um, with the Mom Supporting Moms program to help offer that support through a volunteer role. So we're really excited to be able to partner with you in that way. You are also the regional coordinator of the Triangle Area Chapter of Postpartum Support International, which is an incredible organization. We are actually in the process of formulating a uh, one of our initiatives where we're going to be doing some fundraising for PSI. So we're really, really excited about that. So it's apparent that helping new mothers navigate the world of postpartum care is something that you are very clearly passionate about. You have made it your life's work. We also know from previous talks with you that you are passionate about storytelling. You've mentioned to me before that you love sharing stories and you think there's a lot of power there in healing and and connecting with others. Would you be willing to share a bit about your own story and what specifically led you into this line of work? Sure. I'm happy to. Um, And yeah, so before my career, I've been doing this work for six years and my career before this was an English professor. So I've actually written a book of poetry. I've written essays. So yes, so storytelling is a, a huge part of who I am as well. And writing my postpartum story was a big part of my healing. Um, actually, I published that in Scary Mommy many years ago. So so yeah, so you can look it up there. So yeah, I come to this work as a peer, as a mom who went through a postpartum mood challenge. And I think that's so important because When I tell this story to other women, when I self-disclose, which I'm comfortable with doing, that's when often they're willing to say, oh, well, I am experiencing this one thing, right? And then they'll start to talk and open up to me versus, you know, a medical provider who just does a screening. Now that can be great, but I think self-disclosure really helps them to open up. Right. And so my story was one of postpartum anxiety, which I knew about postpartum depression. All my providers use that language. And so when I started experiencing postpartum anxiety, I didn't know what that was. And I was like, but that's not like I don't have postpartum depression. I'm I'm panicky. I can't sleep. I don't want to be alone with my baby. You know, it's not that I'm not bonded with my baby. It's actually that I'm scared for anybody to hold my baby. So it, it looked really different than what I thought it was supposed to look like. I had a, my first child was seven. She's seven now. She was a very high needs colicky baby. Did y'all have any colicky babies? Oh, it's a whole special. Thank goodness. No, no. Oh my gosh. Yes. We all deserve medals for my mamas who have had the colicky babies. So she, she just screamed and screamed and it has, you know, as a mother, you have like a biological response to that. I mean, it was torturous. I was a new mom, so I didn't really know that she was high needs. What I thought was 
I'm really bad at this, right? And so I had no confidence as a mother. Her crying would set off anxiety for me. We had all kinds of breastfeeding trauma and troubles. That's a huge trigger for moms as well. And so at about six weeks postpartum, I really hit rock bottom. I remember I woke up. Well, I didn't like woke up is not the right term because I had really not slept, but like woke up from a daze and realized like I haven't slept in 24 hours. I haven't eaten in 24 hours and I feel like I'm going to die. Not saying I wanted to die, but like physically felt like my body is going to shut down. And just like, it's so hard to explain because people think mental health challenges are all in your up here, but my anxiety was so physical. I mean, I felt like my whole body was buzzing, like I was trapped in my skin and I just wanted to get out. And so I remember my husband had been trying to talk to me about getting help. And I just wouldn't listen. It was like, I just had tunnel vision. Like I just got to get through this next thing and this next thing, you know, and it's going to be okay. And I called my sister and she was just like, Megan, I can tell in your voice, you're not okay. And I was lucky enough that she just dropped everything and came up um, to be with me. And I really needed that. I was kind of, I was no longer functioning. And so I was lucky that my husband helped me find mom supporting moms. Actually, it was through a friend at work. It was word of mouth. So I started going to group. I got on medication. And for me, those were the two really important factors. I needed the medication to get me back up to a baseline because I was so in the abyss. And then the group was just the piece that helped me stay hopeful, right? Because you could have, a therapist could have told me till I was blue in the face that I was going to feel better eventually. And I did not believe them. For me, this dark place was motherhood and I had made a terrible mistake. That's the stuff we don't say out loud, but that was how I felt. And I dreaded every day and going to group. I saw women who felt like me, number one. So like, and I thought I saw that they were good people. So like, wait a minute. Maybe I'm okay. And I saw them starting to get better. I'm like, if Bridget can get better, maybe I can get better. Right. So it gave me that hope to kind of keep on going um, week by week. But it was a long process, you know, and I think mothers who start out motherhood in that place, it takes us longer to get that confident. Right. Yeah. So that's just a little bit. I'm happy to answer any other questions. You put it into words so beautifully, just how you felt in your body, just how it felt to be a new mom experiencing all of this, what you felt like, how it really hurt your security in in yourself. Thank you for sharing that so much. Chrissy, did you have something you wanted to add? Yeah, just I I agree with Cindy. I, I think your description was spot on and I agree with you wholeheartedly that for a long time now, it's been postpartum depression, postpartum depression that we've talked so much about. And postpartum anxiety has been kind of just not on the radar the same way. But I think it's fair to say that it is even more prevalent issue and is something that we need moms to know more about. And your description of of the sound of the cries, I've always, I, I also had postpartum anxiety and I always related the sound of my daughter crying to the feeling and the sound of like four or five fire trucks. Like Mm -hmm. they pulled up into my living room and were screeching. And to be honest, I still have that reaction. My, my partner, he's always like, babe, she's just crying. She's, she's however old she is at the time they cry. It's okay. And I'm like, you don't understand. (laughs) Like my shoulders tense up. I like my heart starts just racing and it, it is a physical reaction. It's not just Mm -hmm. a mental, like my body physically reacts to her cries in a way that for example, Noah, my partner, he doesn't quite grasp it. It is very, very physical and, and hard to, hard to, to deal with. So I, I very much felt your, your description of the, the physical piece of having that postpartum anxiety. And I also really felt how you explained this, the support piece. It sounded like you had an amazing support system, which is, is phenomenal. We wish all moms had that. And, and I do agree with you that when we see another mom going through the same thing, it, 
can help us in leaps and bounds to know that we are not alone. I, and we hear it often, like it's it's a new social media thing to say, you're not alone. But it's different when you see it. When you see a mom in the thick of it, like you are, it, it does make a difference. Well, you even said that as soon as you started opening up about it, other moms were like, oh, I'm safe. I, I can talk about my experiences too. I can, I can start, it, it's something that I can share. So, so why... Why is this such a taboo topic? Why is it so hard for moms to talk about what's going on and seek out help, discover that they truly aren't alone in the challenges of postpartum anxiety and depression and other various different mood disorders that can emerge after having your baby? Yeah, I think unfortunately, things have gotten better, but we still have a long way to go. And there is such a stigma. And I think moms are, you know, there's many parts of this, but one part is they're afraid to say that anything is wrong. And also there's just not the education around it for them to identify that something's wrong. So I think those are two pieces. And so one piece is just this ideal that we have of perfect mothers and motherhood, right? And it's still perpetuated so strongly. You know, it used to be commercials and magazines and now it's social media, right? In terms of your body should bounce right back. You should just jump right into the thick of things after having a baby. I mean, our maternity leave is only six weeks. It's structural as well. You know, I always just want to say to women, like, it's not your fault. Look, Look at what's happening around you, right? And just We, as a culture, what we started with at the beginning, we don't discuss motherhood as complicated. We perpetuate the idea that motherhood should be everything we are. It should be joyful and we should love every minute of it. Well, that is not a realistic expectation. (laughs) So you're going to fail, right? If that's what you start with. And I think a lot of moms feel like a failure. And so there's all this shame around it. And the shame is what stops them. From, from getting help most of the time. And then I would, there's so many things I could talk about in this answer, but I won't talk too much, but I'd say this is one of my hobby horses. And it's the terminology around this that really is problematic. Like we said, most providers still just say postpartum depression, when in fact we have postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, PTSD from birth. And the media equates postpartum psychosis, this very rare and extreme piece that can happen, but is very rare. They use the term postpartum depression to describe it. So a mom is often terrified to say, I think I have postpartum depression, because in her mind, that means somebody thinks I want to hurt my baby, which is not what that means. So there's so much confusion and kind of stigma around the terminology that I think we really need to work on in terms of educating our providers and providers educating parents. Absolutely. There's so much that needs to be communicated. I think moms also get nervous or the, the, the fear enter into pregnancy already being on some sort of medicine to support their their mental well-being what that people are going to judge them for for being on it when they're being monitored by professionals to say your health is just as important as the health of the baby i'm watching you signs are are low that there'll be problems etc so you're right there's so much com- communication and discussion that has to happen around this do you have any thoughts on how we can do this well, I mean, it's it's above my pay grade, but what it needs to happen is we really need, so somebody may say I'm wrong on this, but at least a few years ago, the research showed and the information I read showed that um, OBGYNs only get maybe a half day or a few hours of training on perinatal mood when perinatal mood is the number one complication due to childbirth. So I think it starts there. Our providers need to be really educated, not just on the mood challenges, but on the resources and treatment right afterwards, because I feel like we're in a place now where we're screening moms more. And that's really been in the last five years. And that's really been because insurance has started to cover it. So we're screening moms more. 
But then what happens after that? When a mom scores a 15 on the Edinburgh, which is a screening tool they use, what do providers do next? And many of them don't know, right? And so education around perinatal mood, but also, and that's really where our organization comes in because a mom can email me and say, hey, I need a specialized therapist and I can provide that information. You know, that's, that's like my wheelhouse. And so providers really just need to get them to us <laughs> and we can, we can get them those resources. And so always, I'm also always thinking about outreach, right? And how more providers um, can know about us. And I just say that I'm very thankful for nurses, doulas, lactation consultants, all those people who are really trying to fill some of this gap that we're talking about as well. You had said something earlier that just, it makes me want to cry sometimes thinking about it because Chrissy, we, we had had the gathering, an event where we had had a mother that was Russian. And then we had another mom that was from Canada. And you had said, majority of the time, we get six to 12 weeks of maternity leave. Well, the woman that was from Russia said, Russians get three years and Canadians get a year off. And this is all paid. They save their jobs, but they have that time to get back on track, get their mental health in in check, their uh, bodies heal, their babies get adjusted. So much happens in that time. Yeah. And I would just say too, Mom Supporting Moms has really taught me because we work with such a diverse group of women that, you know, my low income mothers, they're often going back to work at two weeks because they have no paid leave. How, How can you feel good and be successful, right? Um, when you're not even recovered yet. So there are so many structural, you know, issues within this. And while that is heavy and feels overwhelming, I also think it's nice to remember that. And as I said, always communicating to moms, like, it's not you, you know, this isn't your fault and you're a good mom. Yeah. It helps to know that as bad as a son, it helps to know that it is a structural issue. It's not you yourself. This episode is sponsored by Behind the Behaviors, a 10-week online course designed to redefine what differences really mean. Dr. Joni Johnson helps participants navigate through the misconceptions of ADHD, autism, learning disabilities, mood disorders, and other behavior problems. Dr. Joni walks you from a place of fear to acceptance providing an overview of challenging behaviors, teaching you ways to embrace the superpowers of invisible disabilities, exploring why autism in girls is often missed, understanding the different interventions and medications that are available, exploring effective communication techniques, discussing the new normal of parenting children with special needs, and talking about what to do if you, the adult, are the one with ADHD or autism and covering strategies and techniques for managing those challenging behaviors. Behind the Behaviors is designed for anyone interested in learning more about autism and ADHD, and is based on the extensive feedback Dr. Joni has received from the countless workshops she has led on these topics. Past course participants include doctors, teachers, and parents. We are excited to offer listeners of Mama Needs a Moment a very generous 50% discount on Dr. Joni's Behind the Behaviors online course. Using the link provided in our show notes, enter the code at checkout, Her Health Collective. Megan, we know that you are super passionate about Black maternal care. You are a part of a project in Southeast Raleigh, specifically in this arena. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I am in a place in my work where I feel like we need to serve the women who need it the most, right? And the women who are falling through the cracks the most. And those are our Black mothers um, and our Black infants. And I'll just give you a quick statistic. In Southeast Raleigh, the white infant mortality rate is 5%. And the Black infant mortality rate is 11%. So it's more than double in Southeast Raleigh and Wake County. And that number is not just to that area. That, That is prevalent across the United States in many areas. And that is due to so many different factors. And the Best Baby Zone initiative 
which is the project that I'm teaming up with many different partners across Wake County, is really looking at how can we help those outcomes for Black mothers and Black babies. Um, And so I'm working with them right now. It hasn't happened yet, but we would love to get a peer support group started just for Black mothers. So they would have a space just for them where they can empower each other, listen to each other. We think and I think that that is so important. And we know that Black mothers also have a higher prevalence of maternal mental health challenges, but also don't get treatment as often. Um, and that's for all kinds of reasons, right? Access to health care, systemic racism, stigma around health care. So it's definitely a passion of mine. And you can look it up, the Best Baby Zone initiative. Yeah, and I'm happy to provide more information. But I think that I think that as moms wanting to serve, we have to, if we serve those who need it the most, it will serve everyone. I love that. It sounds like an amazing effort. And I'm going to reach out afterwards and pick your brain more on how we can help because I I think that's an amazing initiative um, and and so needed across the country, but clearly here in in the Southeast Raleigh area. So that's fantastic. On your social media accounts for Safe Child NC, you share different tips on bonding with the babies and you, have, you offer specific advice regarding the bonding and uh, specifically for the moms that are suffering from postpartum mood or anxiety disorders, uh, you offer some pointers there as well. But how do postpartum mood and anxiety disorders impact a mother's overall bond with her child? Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, so, so we know that it can affect a mother's bonding with baby we know that within the first few months, babies understand facial expressions, right? And they want that feedback. One thing I will say is, in my experience, and this is anecdotal, not based on research, but moms who come to our group are taking good care of their babies. They just can't take care of themselves. And that's why I always say they're just going to fake it till they make it. And that's what they, they're doing. They might might not be feeling well, but they're still singing to their baby. They're still reading to their baby. They're going through the motions and they're taking good care of their baby, but they're not able to feel that joy yet. You know, it really is just a faking it till they make it. And that's okay. I tell them you're doing your best. And so sometimes it is like, you know, for someone who hasn't been through a mood challenge, this might sound strange. But I know that I had to have like a list. Here are things that you could do to soothe your baby or do with your baby because I couldn't even think, right? And so I had a list on my fridge and I would just go through it because I knew what I needed to do, but it was so challenging to do so. So we do have moms who need help with what is playing with my baby look like? You know, we'll talk about that because when you're super anxious, that can become this complicated question in your mind. <laughs> what am I supposed to be doing? Am I doing enough? You know, so really faking it till you're making it and knowing that having a perinatal mood challenge does not make you a bad mother. You can still be a good mother and it doesn't define you as a mother. It's really the message I try to give them. You, as you were talking, I was laughing to myself because I remember in the beginning with our oldest daughter trying, you mentioned ways to soothe her or ways to play with her. And you had had a, a list of everything. Well, I was, it was just so new. And you're like, oh, well, I read this in a book or I saw this somewhere that loud noises like vacuum cleaners or hair dryers, they'll soothe the, soothe the baby. So my husband and I just so naively would let a hairdryer run next to her bed, (laughs) dangling over the side of her crib. And it was just trying to get her to stop crying. I think we actually burnt out a a hairdryer doing that, (laughs) trying to get her to sleep. But yes, the moms that just don't know they're struggling with themselves, but then maybe they also have a very highly spirited baby or a baby that struggles in their own way with colic or gastrointestinal problems, or there's allergies or something, all of that can just compound things so much to just make a mom feel so depressed. 
Yes. Oh, and I can't not say this, which is, it's a little off topic, but it's on topic, but I try to give every mom permission. It is okay to put your baby down in a safe spot if they are crying and you can walk away. We have all done it. If we're being honest, I don't know a parent who hasn't had to put their crying baby down and take a few moments to gather themselves to handle that situation. And moms need that permission. They need to hear that. And so often they just hear like, well, try this, try that, try that. But it's okay if you need to take a break. Megan, I have a question for you. And also slightly moving off of topic just a little bit, but we talk a lot or you hear a lot about moms are so judgmental of other moms. And, and there's this, this idea. And I have seen it. I, I've seen judgmentalness in the motherhood sphere. However, especially, you know, we have our group, Her Circle, and it's an amazing group of moms. And I don't see that at all. I see moms that are incredibly compassionate, incredibly welcoming, incredibly supportive, whether there's a working mom or a stay-at-home mom, you know, a mom that is has made one choice or or another, like they're all from all different walks of life, all different spheres, and have gone down different paths, but they're incredibly supportive and compassionate toward each other. Have you found that in your group as well? And where do you think that fits in with this this sphere of judgmentalness that we talk about in motherhood? Totally agree, right? Like I call BS on the mommy wars stuff because I don't see it. I don't see it in our group. Our moms are, I mean, our whole foundation is them supporting each other. I mean, a lot like your circle and they do it amazingly. It is very rare that I kind of have to step in and, and redirect. So I think when given the opportunity and the platform to, to really connect, I think moms do that beautifully. And they want that, right? It's not just the receiving of the support, but it's the confidence and the empowerment they get to feel when giving the support. And so I want to say that's just maybe when we're way behind our screens on the internet, (laughs) but I don't, I don't really see that in my day-to-day life. Right. Like maybe, maybe it's a social media phenomenon or or maybe on the playground, maybe, maybe there's a little judgment that passes there, but no, that's good to hear. I was actually wondering if it's as much judgment or if it's that mom fearing of, of portrayal, of feeling, of feeling that maybe she's doing it the wrong way. If this other mom is doing it another way. Yeah, yeah. And every mom wants to show that they're, they don't want to look like they're a bad parent, of course. So they're going to want their child to look, the nails are clipped and the bows in their hair and their lunch is perfect and everything because they want to, they want to show that they're doing it right. So maybe it's not as much the fear of the judgment of the other person, as much as worrying that they're going to be looked at as not good enough. Yeah. Good, good point. I think there's a lot of fear of being, you know, motherhood is such a big piece of not all you are, but a big piece of who you are and you want to get it right. And it's hard to remember the fact that there is no actual right way to mother. And and that's just something that we always kind of have to keep in the back of our mind and let each mom do her thing. Megan, I have a question for you and I'm really interested to hear your answer, but I have to point out, Megan emailed us just before this session and said, <laughs> is it okay if I cuss? Because I just want to make sure. And she hasn't said a single cuss word yet. I so. said BS. I'm doing so good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you so are. You're. <laughs> are you prepping? Are you prepping the crowd to say if there's little ears, you might want to get earmuffs because <laughs> we might be setting Megan down. A opening oh, right. I was just pointing. I was like, I was just pointing out, like you, you've put a filter over, um, and I. I, I just, I'm um, very proud of myself so far. Well, <laughs> it's it's certainly not required. So or you can start swearing like I do with the good place. I'll just be like, "Holy fork and shirt balls!" <laughs> oh, <laughs> have you watched that show? It's great. My husband loves that show. But no, I've never been good at the replacement cuss words as well. I'm I'm not either. My partner and I are not very good at it at all. And my daughter's getting older now. And we're both like, we really have to work on this because she has definitely repeated some some words back to us. And we're like, oh, don't go to school and say that, please. <laughs> You're like, there's there's no way that that's going to be. So you'll say something like, oh, balls. And my husband will give me a look like, and I'm like, what? It's a ball. Not those balls, but a ball. Why can't it just be a ball? <laughs> I I kind of delight because I mean, I was an English professor and I love language. So like when my kids do use a cuss word at home, which happens occasionally, 
and they use it in the correct context. I'm like, you get it. Like, that is how you say shit. Like, I would say shit in that context. Um, uh, that's kind of I love exciting. it. And I think children, I think their language is amazing. Like, my children do, if you pay attention, they shift the language they use. They they code switch, right, depending on who they're around. And they pick up on that. We almost don't even have to say anything. And they get that. So it's really interesting. There's a great essay um, by Jill McCorkle, who was one of my teachers in writing. And it's called Cuss Time. Just Google it. Jill McCorkle Cuss Time. And she talks about, like, giving her son. He was allowed to cuss on the ride home from school. He could say whatever he wanted. And it really worked for them. It's like he got to let it all out. And then he kind of shut it off when they got home. I mean, I know I could use that time <laughs> after a long day and you hop in your car, you want to let some of some of those words fly. So Yes. Oh, I know driving. I'm the worst. That's really. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty bad too. What has been the most challenging lesson or shift for you in your motherhood journey so far? Control, control. Amen, sister. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the research on this, but I would bet my life savings that type A personalities struggle with postpartum anxiety. And I didn't even know I was type A until I became a mother. <laughs> so, and, I, and I'll kind of say the, um, the biggest lesson in control for me and what has really, I think, made me finally get over the hump with that as a mother is the third child, our third child is almost adopted. So he came to us in a different way. And having a child where, and we really honor his birth mom, and we think having an open relationship with her is the best thing for him. And so having a child in which you are not the only mother, and in which you have to accept that he doesn't get to have the most ideal experience. Like ideal is you you live with your birth parents. And that's just not where we are and where we'll ever be. And so that has made me have to let go of so much control in terms of loving him and doing what's best for him and accepting his story and making sure there's never any shame around his story. And so I think I'm finally, you know, I'm like 80% <laughs> over some of the control stuff. But I think that can be so, so challenging, right? Just letting, letting our kids go, letting them be who they are, letting them have their own stories. It can be really, really tough, but it's so important. It's so important. Absolutely. Letting them make their own mistakes. It's even down to yesterday, our daughter, it was raining and our daughter wore her rain boots to school. And I was like, here, just, just stick your shoes in the bag, your sneakers in the bag. And she's like, but I don't, I don't want to. And I was like, oh, oh, but she'll need them later. You're not going to want to wear your boots all day long. You know, just those type of things. She'll figure out if she wants the boots or next time she'll realize, oh, I needed my sneakers. I'll just stick these in. We just, we don't give them the opportunity to make those mistakes. And I am so, so guilty of that. My husband and I do that. And we talk about it all the time about how we jump to their rescue way too quickly. And we don't let those natural mistakes happen for them to learn from. But what message do you think every mom should hear? You are a good mom. You are enough and you are worthy of taking care of yourself and being a whole human. Beautiful. <laughs> Love it. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. That's I have enjoyed fun. it so much, Cindy and Christy. I really appreciate y'all having me here to chat. And I feel like we could go on and on, but I know we have to cut it off. I feel like we could talk to you all day. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> we really appreciate you sharing your story and all of the work that you are doing here in the Raleigh area. Thank you. Thank you for being a resource for moms. And thank you for spending some of your morning with us. Yeah, thanks so much. And thank you for the Her Collective and all you are doing with those groups and those women. And I'm so excited that our paths can overlap. Isn't Megan so much fun? She always makes me laugh. And when I'm with her, I can't help but feel like no matter what's going on, it will all be okay. We are blessed to have her as a resource in the postpartum space. Here are our top three takeaways from our time with Megan today. One, when thinking about maternal mental health challenges, we should be aware of three main tools. These tools include social support, therapy, and medication. 
Many mothers dealing with a maternal mental health challenge may need some combination of all three of those. That means to truly reach and support the mothers that need it most, we as a society need to work to destigmatize these tools. Therapy and meditation in particular typically carry a certain stigma with them that can keep many individuals from seeking out the care they so desperately need. Let's normalize these things. I'm in therapy. I have used various medications at different points in my life. These things do not make me a bad mom. In fact, they make me a good mom because I am seeking out the support I need so that I can care for my family. Two, we have a dire need for more education of mothers and healthcare providers alike. Megan shared her personal experiences with postpartum anxiety and how, because of the language that is often used around perinatal mental health, she had no idea what she was experiencing. I myself had a similar experience. Postpartum depression is what we are so often told about, but everyone needs to be educated on the host of other mental health challenges that can present in the postpartum period. Healthcare providers need to be educated, not just on the mood disorders and appropriate language to use, but also on the best resources and treatment protocols to utilize immediately after screening. Three, and perhaps most important, you have permission. Megan offered permission to parents to put down their baby in a safe spot if they're crying and they need to walk away. Moms need that permission. They need to hear that. And so often they hear, try this or try that. But it's okay if you need to take a break. It's okay if you need to ask for help. It's okay if you need to do things differently than your friend, your neighbor, or your mother. They will all have opinions, but none of them are the mother of your child. Only you hold that special designation. We also need to let go of the perfect ideal mother that is so often perpetuated by social media. It is because of those unrealistic expectations that many moms develop a fear of saying, you know, something's not quite right and asking for help. Let's aim to be a little more real with one another. Let's be willing to share the challenges as much as we share the wins and know above all else that you have permission. You have permission to put the baby down. You have permission to ask for help. You have permission to do things your own way. And you, my friend, have permission to not have it all together all the time. Hi, five friends. We had so much fun with you. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to leave a review. We love hearing what you have to say. Until next time, stay true to you.